alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. See if I get this right. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu wa rasulillah wa alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. I want to be merciful and give you guys a chance to stand up and stretch. So give yourself 30 seconds, especially those of you sitting on the floors. Stand up, stretch out, get that hurt out of you. Especially those of you on the floor. Jazakumullah khairan to YM for the incredible work that they do, and for the volunteers, and for all of the organizers. Y'all good? Okay, now you can be seated. Some of you are hugging and acting like it's Eid now. We're done intros. The topic that I was given is one that I've been given in various manifestations over time, but I want to look at this from a different angle, inshallah ta'ala. When you talk about this idea of being an ambassador of the Prophet sallallahu of being embodied words, embodied scripture, it's actually a really powerful concept, this idea that you embody text as a person, as an individual. And I want you to just take a step back and appreciate for a moment the fact that most of the places that Islam spread to, the Prophet ﷺ never physically got a chance to enter. And it's actually very beautiful when you think about that effect in his own lifetime of the places that Islam spread like Abyssinia and Persia and into the Roman Empire, into Jerusalem. It wasn't that they met the Prophet ﷺ in Abyssinia, it was that they met the product of the Prophet, peace be upon him, in Abyssinia, in the person of Ja'far ibn Abi Talib and those early Muslim followers of the Prophet, peace be upon him. It wasn't that they met the Prophet ﷺ in Jerusalem, but they met the product of the Prophet in Umar and in Abu Ubaidah and in some of those great people that went and took Islam to those places. It wasn't that they even met the person of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina, just around the corner from him, but it was the product of the Prophet, peace be upon him, in Mus'ab ibn Umayr. And so the first thing that you have to understand is that the people knew the beauty of the Prophet ﷺ through the beauty of his followers. And the people knew the beauty of the Qur'an through the beauty of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet, peace be upon him, is described as كَانَ خُلُقُهُ الْقُرْآنِ He was a walking Qur'an. And that sounded like it hurt back there. I hope everyone's okay. He was a walking Qur'an, an embodied Qur'an. The best way to describe him is that everything that he preached, he practiced, and that all of those beautiful virtues and qualities and characteristics that we find in the Qur'an, no one manifested them in the most perfect way like the Prophet ﷺ. The Qur'an would not have had the impact that it had on mankind if it remained as text on paper. What made it transformative was not just the recitation or the words, but its transformative power as demonstrated in the person of the Prophet ﷺ. Likewise, what the Prophet, peace be upon him, was to the Qur'an, the companions were to the Prophet, peace be upon him. 
People met his companions that never met him. But they said, look, if this is what he produces, then imagine what he's like. They each embodied special qualities that the Prophet ﷺ taught. Each one of them seized upon a gem of his personality and they carried that forward. And what the companions were to the Prophet, peace be upon him, their children were to them. The generation of the Tabi'een that came after the companions. Each one of them amplifying the beauty of their parents that was instilled within them by the Prophet ﷺ, that was infused in him by the Qur'an. Then every generation that comes after, they will know the Prophet ﷺ through his followers. They will know him through you. That's a heavy burden if you think about it. But I also want us to be a little bit humble in understanding that if the narrative out there is that Islam is barbaric and regressive and the people who are being fed these brainwashing messages have not met a person that detracts from that narrative, what do you expect them to believe? What do you expect them to say about the Prophet what do you expect them to think about Islam? Just like the beauty that radiated from Mus'ab was what gained the Prophet, peace be upon him, his acceptance in Medina before he set foot in there. And the beauty of Ja'far and Abyssinia radiated what the Prophet imparted. Likewise, when those that have been tasked with radiating the radiance of the Prophet don't live up to it, then you cannot expect people to see that light on their own. Because it's not just scripture. It's not just words on a paper. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. What does the Quran look like embodied? Is it just the idea that it's something that you can recite? You know, the word Quran means that it's something that's frequently recited. Or is it more than that? And what does it mean to embody it? If what it means to embody it is that you recite it, then you're no more impressive than your phone or than your whatever device it is that you listen to the Qur'an being recited because at the end of the day, that's called parroting. But actually protecting it and guarding it and absorbing it is a whole nother level. And there's this beautiful example that the Prophet ﷺ gave about the way that the Qur'an lands upon people. When you think about someone who has substance, when people say people of substance, we need people of substance, what they're talking about is people that have something on the interior that's stronger than anything that can be explained or seen or visualized in the exterior, that you're made of something. When people say you're made of something or what are you made of or what's on the inside, what they're usually referring to is a sense of strength, a sense of beauty, something that is both invisible, at least in the way that our exteriors are visible, and something that is inaccessible to those that wish you harm. Again, it's invisible and in that you can't see it, and it's also inaccessible to those that are trying to harm you. It's deep inside, no one can access it except for you. And you access it in a way 
that causes you to transform the environment around you. So I think of this hadith, right? The Prophet said that the example of people upon whom the revelation falls are like the different types of lands. Some people are like hard land that's shaped in a way that's like a rock. The rain just hits it. It doesn't absorb it. The rock doesn't absorb it. The surface doesn't absorb it. Nor does it benefit anybody or anything else around it. Then the Prophet said, but there's then a surface that's like, it's hard, but it's bowl-shaped. Or it's, it's shaped in a way that it could carry some water, but none of the water is absorbed. Then he said, وسلم, there's surface that's like soil. It takes in the water. It absorbs it. And, you know, if you think about this in terms of benefit, by the way, right? The, the, the bowl-shaped surface that carries water right away offers an immediate sense of gratification and benefit to everything but itself. But once the water is gone, it's just like the first type of land, right? It's exposed for its bareness and for its hardness. That type of person, the Prophet has said, is like a person who benefits others with the revelation but does not benefit themselves. Meaning for a short while, you're able to get something out of it and you're able to offer something from it. But the water gets drunk really quick and then there's nothing left to it. You never actually absorbed it, you just gave others something of it to benefit from. But that other person that's like soil, when the soil absorbs the water, that means that first and foremost, the primary beneficiary of that water, of that revelation, is the person themselves. That it went deep inside of me. It penetrated. The other implication of that is that it's going to bear fruit and bear vegetation in the long run. So while the surface that carries the water, in a, that's a hard surface in the short term, gives people an immediate sense of benefit, the soil doesn't provide immediate benefit, but it provides long-term benefits. And that type of benefit is not just to other parties, but it starts off with you. You soak it in. Your heart gets saturated by it. And SubhanAllah, you know what else? That type of vegetation, whatever comes out of that, you might be able to break a branch or break a tree, but it's so deeply rooted in the soil of your heart that even if people are able to get you momentarily, you'll just grow something else back. When you talk about how you are meant to represent Islam, I recognize the immense pressure upon young people in particular to have to represent Islam, especially when they have not been able, at times, to absorb it in its most beautiful sense. And so I actually want to tell you something that you probably won't hear in the messaging from myself and from other people throughout this conference. Make sure that as you're interacting with religion, in a time when people immediately hear and speak, receive and show, make sure that you're taking some quiet time to actually try to absorb and appreciate 
the profound transformative nature of this message. Make sure that you're actually taking time for yourself. Sister Susie talked about this idea of disconnecting to connect. Make sure that before you preach it, you practice it. You know, with every other form of knowledge, you learn it and then you teach it. In Islam, you learn, you implement, then you teach. You learn, implement, teach. And that process never can be interrupted. It has to be that in between your learning and your teaching, there is some level of implementation. And for a person that has to interact with a broader society that has such ugly impressions about this beautiful religion, what that means is making sure that you allocate some time to read by yourself, to meditate upon the meanings of this religion by yourself at times. To do it, and I'm a biggest fan of the neighbor nuts that they have, that YM has, but you know what? No social structure is going to fill that void of your own, your own ability to sit and to ponder upon the meanings of the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet What the neighbor net does is it reinvigorates you, it motivates you, it gives you the tools so that you can do that on your own. But take a step back and actually try to absorb it to be a person of substance. Because if the only way you've interacted with the Qur'an is listening and reciting, and the only way you've interacted with the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is treating it like a reference, so that you go and you get the hadith that you need, or you get the lecture that you need, so that you can give it to somebody else. At no point in that process was there a moment for you to actually absorb it, to sit with yourself and actually absorb it. And you know, a lot of people think that the reason why I don't need to do that is because I'm already living or demonstrating some of those meanings. But the reality is that you, you're just that bowl that's giving water to other people, but you haven't given it a chance to actually penetrate deep into your heart. I actually want to share something with you that, you know, subhanAllah, I, I don't know how many people in here have been to prison. I know that a lot of people talk about prison like it's, uh, you know, uh, or, or they attach certain connotations to prison, but some of the, the most deep and devout people that I've ever met are people that were incarcerated, formerly incarcerated. I'm not encouraging you to go to prison, I'm not encouraging you to get incarcerated, but some of the people that have the deepest substance, like you talk to them and you realize there's been some deep thought, there's been a lot of time that's been put into a generation of thought and like where I go from here, you realize that that time that they had in prison where they were reading, where they were meditating, where they were thinking was a time of great growth on the inside and prepared them from things that, for things that were even more difficult after their prison years once they got out. It's hard to explain. But that's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that sometimes, even in your hardest moments, Allah gives you an opportunity for growth, to grow out of that hard moment. And the idea here is that you don't really know that you're a person of substance or what you're made of until you're put through something that shakes you. And that's where it comes out. You know when you think about good character and sunnah, 
And by the way, since my topic is streamlining the sunnah, usually when I ask people, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word sunnah? Usually it's something that is external in its nature. And the practices of the Prophet the external practices are important. The sunnahs as we understand them are important. I am not saying the deen does not encompass those and that they're not an important part of our religion. Your exterior does matter, you know. There is something about it. But when the Prophet was described, that you are upon an exalted standard of character. And the Prophet was or, or described this mission as that I was sent only to perfect good manners. There's something deeper about his person. The character of the Prophet was special. But as I said, you don't really know what you're made of until you're shook, right? You want to know what the greatest test of good character is? Anybody? I'm going to cover the light. I actually want to hear an answer. First four or five rows. What do you think the greatest test of good character is? Imams don't count. Anybody? Yeah. What is it? Hardship. Hardship tests a very particular type of your character, which is patience. All right? But you're getting to the point, though, which is you don't know how patient you're really going to be until something hits you. And your entire life, you're being prepared for that moment of hardship where something strikes you and Allah tests you with whether or not you're going to be patient. Now the practices of patience on a small scale, like if you can't be patient with the small everyday annoyances in life, how are you going to be patient when a major tragedy hits you in life, right? So you're practicing. Allah is training you for something major that's going to come to you in life. So you practice with those small things of patience, right? But what about character? It's close to that. What is the greatest test of good character? Yeah. I can't hear you, man. I'm sorry. Family. What kind of family do you have? I'm just messing around with you. Family tests you. So in one aspect, you're getting closer. You're getting closer. In one aspect, if, if you're able to show courtesy to everyone on the outside of your home, but you're a jerk with your own family, then you're really just a jerk who's really good at portraying courtesy to people on the outside. No offense. All right. But the Prophet ﷺ taught us that those that are closest to you are most worthy of seeing your good character. So the good character that you show on the outside of your house should be intensified on the inside of your house. Because those are the people that see you in your rawest form. So you work on it because when you're around someone a lot, uh, you're, you're more likely to be annoyed by them at times, right? So that's where our personality quirks and all the different things about us start to come into tension, especially when there are power dynamics at play. But the point is, is that you cannot expect to just show courtesy on the outside and then not show any of that courtesy on the inside. If at, at the very minimum, they should be consistent. The way you treat people that are close to you should be the same as the way that you treat people that are not close to you on the outside of your home, right? Getting closer, yeah. What's up? Poverty. Poverty tests a very particular type of your character. Closer, but stay closer to where he was, yeah. 
Ask the question again. I forgot the question. Now, what is the greatest test of good character that you could have? Yeah. Protecting your desires. Close. Yeah. I got five more minutes. Yes, sister, go ahead. They translate it, inshallah. Dealing with your inner self. Beautiful. Now I'm going to go ahead and give the answer. Because it's close to the last two, or the family and then the inner self. The greatest test of your good character is how you deal with people with bad character. Imam al-Ghazali said, the greatest test of good character is how you deal with people with bad character. If you think about the person of the Prophet ﷺ, his character shined brightest when it was challenged. It's very easy to be nice to someone who's being nice to you. It's very easy to embody rahmah and mercy when it's with someone who's really deserving of mercy around you. It's very easy to embody empathy when it's someone that naturally gives off a sentiment that solicits empathy just by their being. It's very easy to be for justice when it's for someone that's on your team, when you like the person that you're standing for justice for, when it's a popular cause of justice. All of that is easy. But when you're challenged, and the only incentive that you have is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you have to access that inner self, that's when you know what you're made of. That's when you know whether you're a person of substance or not. How do I get there? I recognize that I am constantly Muslim in training. All right? Now I want you to imagine yourself walking around and I want you to take this further. All right? The word, and I'm going to talk about this in the keynote session tonight, inshallah, I'm going to talk about ihsan, excellence, right? The word for a person who does ihsan is what? Muhsin. The organization, by the way, which I hope you all support, inshallah ta'ala, Muslims understanding and helping with special education needs. But I want you to imagine yourself wearing a shirt that says Muhsin in training. What is Muhsin in training? All of the qualities that the Prophet embodies, you have to ask yourself, look, I'm not at the moment, I don't think that many of us have Abu Jahl in our lives. If you do, you need help. Right? Like, I don't think any of us are experiencing some of the major episodes of challenge that the Prophet experienced. And a lot of times, here's the disconnect. And I hope that I'm able to convey this because I know you guys have been sitting here for a very long time. Here's where the disconnect usually happens. There are two sides to this. One of them is there are words of what you're supposed to do and say if you are in a situation that tests your character in a major way. Words that you're supposed to recite, words that you're supposed to do, uh, words that are stories, that are good metaphors, that are good analogies, that are good parables, that are good examples for you if you end up in this difficult situation or the situation that challenges your character, challenges your substance. The disconnect is this, every single day of your life is a chance to actually bridge those two worlds 
to where you act upon those words in the most simple ways and in your daily life so that when that comes to you and really tests what's on the inside, just like a person that's been lifting weights, you've been building character. You've been building character along the way. You know, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon is not something you just say when somebody dies. Inna ma'al usri yusra is not just, with hardship comes ease, is not just when a major tragedy strikes you. Patience is not just when you have a life-altering tragedy in your life. Gratitude is not just when someone gives you an out-of-the-ordinary gift or bestows a blessing upon you in that way. The Prophet said, whoever doesn't thank Allah for the small things is not going to be able to thank Allah for the big things. Whoever doesn't daily uh, or practice gratitude on a daily level isn't going to understand how to really thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when major things happen. Why is it that every single time you eat, you say, Alhamdulillah? Why is it that every single time you wake up in the morning and you say, Alhamdulillah, you start off your day with praise and a lack of entitlement? Alhamdulillah, all praises be to Allah who gave us life after death and to Him is the ultimate return. You start off your day with a sense of praise and with no expectation or entitlement of the day. The tests that come to you, the moments that offer opportunities for gratitude or patience, the ability to practice the sunnahs of the Prophet that are character oriented, that are not in the capacity of someone trying to kill you or someone killing your family. All of those things bridge those two together, the word and those major virtues that the Prophet was able to capture. What this means for how we interact with the world around us, dear brothers and sisters. Enough talking about the prophets. It's time to act like the prophets. Enough expecting people to understand who the Prophet ﷺ was just because he was factually amazing. And more of demonstrating those virtues of the Prophet ﷺ in your capacity as a follower of the Prophet ﷺ. Remember yourself as a muhsin in training. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us all people who excel, to make us all from the muhsineen, to make us able representatives of the Prophet ﷺ, to allow us to be to the Prophet ﷺ what he was to the Qur'an, to allow people to see him in us, and in seeing him in us, be attached to that which generated the beauty in him and us, in the Holy Quran, Allahumma Ameen. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.